the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, as you just heard, Jesse Gistan in the house with you. Uh, recovering from just a bastion of weather that has been perfect, in my opinion, today. Just gorgeous, sunny afternoon, isn't it? The weather is spectacular. Um, all things are well in the Bay Area, as far as I, I know. No major accidents, no real uh, critical events that we need to talk about. So we can we can count our blessings. We can, we can thank God for an- another day here in the Bay Area. I trust that your worship was well. That um, you had a great time um, uh, standing before God with the people of God and exalting him for his goodness and mercy in your life. And uh, you and I have now, let's see, about an hour and 55 minutes to talk about what's going on in our world, what's going on in our lives and how we need to continue to press toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I um I received a number of emails and comments on our last week's discussion. Uh, several of them having to do with affirming the atrocious uh, experience that we have as human beings, where other people uh, take advantage of us in vulnerable states and uh, experiences in life. I was very remarkably surprised at some of the um, vulnerability on the part of people who just simply uh, had said that they felt like they needed to actually uh, talk about some difficulties they were going through in their own life uh, as a consequence of what happened to them when they were young. Very vivid, very descriptive events of them being molested or being thrown to the wolves in such a context as um, just distorted, perverted, uh, unhealthy uh, behavioral patterns on the part of adults that took advantage of little uh, boys and little girls, and it impacted them all the way up to the present time. And um, they resonated to some degree with what we were talking about last week as I uh, took the position that what Bill Cosby had been ultimately made guilty of is that a lot more men, and maybe women as well, but certainly men, this is the history of life, um, are presently guilty of, even if... The courts don't find them. So revisiting the Kavanaugh decision, as I uh, implicated last week, he certainly would probably in all uh, likelihood get past this uh, series of accusations again against him. Um, But I still believe he's guilty. I still believe he did it. I believe Mrs. Ford and the other couple of ladies who uh, would have really gained nothing by virtue of coming out. Uh, to speak against such a um, prominent person with regards to something that happened many decades ago. I don't, for the life of me, I cannot believe why uh, a, a person would put themselves in such a precarious situation as to become the brunt of uh, hostility and and uh, hatred and uh, vitriol on the part of uh, partisans, par- politics, and, and quite frankly, uh, people who 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 either do not understand why a person would put themselves in that kind of situation, or just are given over to the full orbed uh, 
uh, political uh, dialectic. In any event, I had a couple of listeners emailed me one and one snail mailed me, uh, one female, one male. uh, And I appreciate, actually, I totally appreciate their response. If you're listening, uh, I won't call your names, but if you're listening, your response and your opinions about my judgment on the matters of allegation by women against men of power and position having forced themselves on them or molested them or raped them or otherwise, I, I, I definitely thank you for your opposition. Uh, thank you for your right to, to, to the freedom of speech and to disagree with yours truly. Let me, let me, however, remind you that what I was stating was my opinion. I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I don't have any kind of authority to wield upon uh, Brett Kavanaugh, to wield upon Bill uh, Cosby, Bill Clinton, or any of the others. I'm just, uh, I'm just somehow persuaded of the re- real possibility of that which... Uh, was uh, declared by Ms. Ford uh, against uh, Mr. Kavanaugh just occurred. As as I had said years ago, I remember when the controversy came out with O.J. Simpson. Did he do it? Did he not do it? Did he do it? Did he not do it? I just thought all along that he did it. I thought Bill Clinton, when he uh, was exposed for the many sordid affairs uh, in his life as governor of Arkansas, that those women were telling the truth. I, I heard and watched as all of the media and different pundit groups on either side uh, supported her, um, uh, defended him, uh, supported them or opposed them. You know, because once you have this kind of high profile case at hand, all of the invested parties are going to come to the floor to defend and to oppose, to defend and to oppose. And. All during the process, we all have a right to our opinion. So when you call or you write or you uh, make uh, known your 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 opinion about my opinion, just as free as you are to yield your opinion, so am I. We are all free to yield our opinion. I don't think there's any space in the world where an event or a crime or an allegation occurs where all people do is say, hey, 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 hold on now. Uh, none of us better make an opinion here. Don't, none of us have to draw a conclusion. None of us have to be tugged by the actual scandal of the event so as to begin to, in our own mind, in the private sphere of our own private judgment, make an assessment. No, 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 no. Let's wait till the courts come in and the courts will deliberate this matter. And if the courts find him guilty, then he's guilty. If the courts don't find him guilty, then he's not guilty. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not not the world you live in. It's certainly not the world I live in. And it's not even the best world, to be honest with you. So I, I certainly believe that Bill Clinton did it. I certainly believe that um, uh, President Trump, with all of the scandal that he was met with over his campaign, I believe that those women couldn't have been completely just insanely driven by some kind of agenda to keep him from being president were wrong. I believe that Clarence Thomas, the other individual that's sitting on the Supreme Court now with Kavanaugh, is just as guilty. And Anita Hill, for all of her efforts to uh, be as vivid and explicit about her interactions with him, notwithstanding all the opposition that came from other uh, parties and other people and other opponents to suggest it's not possible that this woman could really have endured all of that kind of harassment and and groping and uh, overimposition of a powerful man and yet stay working with him. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't it be that a woman could have endured some kind of sexual abuse, some kind of um, power brokering on the part of her boss that was uncomfortable and crossed the line if it wasn't anything other than verbal innuendos? Why would it not be reasonable to think that she would want to maintain her job, work through that job, and then be able to move into another dimension or another space of work um, that is much more apropos to her character and her dignity. Women have had to do this since the fall. So when you come with these kind of arguments, like she can't be telling the truth, she continued working with them. Now that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I stated that, um, I believe OJ Simpson did it, that Bill Clinton did it, that, uh, that, uh, president Trump did it. And, uh, 
and what do they all have in common? And, 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 and many more, they're all innocent in the eyes of the law. But that does not mean that they're not guilty. And it does not mean that they didn't do it. When you and I think through just the history of mankind and and how often the court systems have failed to actually either um, execute due process and therefore bring about a real justice on the part of people, um, we, we need to slow way down and realize that by and large, our court systems have gotten it wrong many, many, many times over, just many, many, many times over. Um, so we want to be careful not to not to think that uh, that that just because the legal system operated in a way that the outcome or conclusion was, in fact, that this woman, Miss Ford, she was she was she was delusional. I don't know why she woke up one day thinking that, you know, it was Kevin. If she did, if she were molested some 30, 40 years ago, then it couldn't have been Brett Kavanaugh. She was delusional. And so were the other two ladies, by the way, who implicated him for being the kind of um, loose, drinking, careless brute that basically describes a lot of men in college, particularly if they are popular and as athletic as Brett Kavanaugh was. So um, there, to me, there's enough what I would call circumstantial evidence to yield credibility to their exposing themselves to the court system in the manner in which they did. Um, but let me make a couple of other points before I take a break, just for those of you who are new, because you may think that somehow uh, I have a political bone to pick. And this is what I said to at least one of my uh, listeners who, who emailed me. Uh, I am neither a right-wing or left-wing ideologue. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that, but people listen all the time. And this is this is a public radio um, format. It is Christian in its sort of context and its calling, but we deal with political issues and social issues and, and public issues. And you might think that, okay, you know, because they're Christian, they're probably right-wing. But, you know, you got left-wing Christians, too, as you know. But I— I'm definitely not one of those persons. I am uh, I, neither party impresses me. I'm going to let you know now. I spent about 10 years, many, many, many years ago, not recently, kind of riding the uh, Rush Limbaugh bandwagon and then the Sean Hannity bandwagon and the Savage bandwagon and all of the other popular guys. I forget the Mormon guy who uh, basically got knocked off the wagon because he was too serious about conspiracy theories. But listening to them all, and it became clear to me how this dialectical process works and, and how it created a massive blind spot on both wings of the political system, if you ask me. It maintains a kind of perpetuation of rhetoric and commentary and, and manipulated truths or facts or allegations upon the masses to keep the masses divided. This is nothing what we call, but what we call politics. And uh, uh, the media tactics uh, play well into it as well. If you listen to the way uh, MSNBC or CNN News spins and frames it, uh, it's designed to, 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 to get the, uh, the approval of its audience. You listen to Fox News and all these other conservative guys that I've simply uh, just mentioned, and you'll find they'll spend it and they'll spend it and they'll work their arguments and they'll 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 even demonize the person who is coming out against their particular uh, party person. Uh, and at a certain point, you listen objectively from a distance and you discover they're doing the same thing on either side. Now, people on either side of the group will say their side is more just and more righteous and more careful and more honest. You hear it on both sides. You hear it on both sides. But my commentary does not come from an, from either a political dialectical process uh, or from any other kind of uh, gain that I might come from uh, that might come from my 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 uh, observations on these things and and getting to a third point before I make an observation about the biblical text that really stimulated my idea uh, around uh, what I see is a trend occurring in our culture that uh, that has not been around for a while, and that is the ability for a woman to cry out in the field and somebody hear her. 
the ability for a vulnerable person to cry out in the field and somebody hear her. This is the gorgeous, righteous law of God Almighty in Deuteronomy chapter 22, 25. I'll read that in a, in a moment and, and tell you what I mean by that. But uh, I am neither in this for politics and I'm certainly not in it for money. So for those of you who are new who wonder you know, who this dude is talking, uh, I'm not in it to make money. I'm not in it for a popularity contest. I'm not in it for a good old boys club. I, I, I have a tendency to be an equal opportunity uh, uh, commentator. I don't mind offending either party. All groups, uh, Republicans and Democrats, where I believe my opinion uh, has validity in terms of expressing itself concerning an aspect of the process of our free country's democratic expressions and and uh, and challenges and struggles that we have here in America. We have a, we have the right to talk about it. You have the right to talk about it. You and I have the right to even be wrong. So. Don't get all waxed hot when uh, when you hear somebody say something that you just don't agree with. So three things very clearly. It's my opinion. Secondly, I have no political bones to pick. Thirdly, I don't get paid for this. I enjoy doing what I do. It's a privilege. It's a labor of love. But I don't get paid to do this. What I often try to do when political issues come up is extract from it the fundamental and salient moral and ethical issue. Now, here's what the law of God said. And I'm going to take a break, and then I'll come back chat a little bit more with you on it. A, see, God sees everything, and he knew from the beginning that our court systems would be blind and conveniently blind whenever they needed to advance their own calls and, and purpose. And I'll be reading an article from the Ethics of Religion and Liberty Commission in a moment about what does the Bible say about sexual assault. So you just... You just stay tuned. Now listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 21 says, and then all the way through verse 25. If a man be found lying with a woman that is married to an husband, then they both, both of them shall die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman shall be put to death in order for us to put evil away from Israel. That's verse 22. What does God believe about adultery? It is worthy of death. The implications of sleeping with another man's wife or husband is absolutely horrific. My, how far we have departed from godly thinking in America after all these years. Verse 23, if a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, that's like legally being married, but they haven't consummated yet, and a man find her in the city and he lie with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she didn't cry out, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so shall you put evil away from among you. Verse 24 is clear. She should have cried out. But you see today, when a woman cries out, now she's, she's almost written off as ah, she can't be telling the truth. And yet God says she has to cry out. Here's the verse, though, I want you to think about. But if a man find a betrothed woman in the field, that's out there where no one is, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel you shall do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death, for as when a man rises against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, uh, and uh, the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. What a, what a precarious situation to be in. Here you are overtaken by power whether it's male or female, and they do what they want. And you cry out and no one hears you. But God hears you. That's the reality of the matter. God hears. And this is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open, one 367 one I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll pick up our topic and your responses on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. Two lines open, one 
3675329. We don't have to continue on that topic that I opened up in my monologue about, but I did want to bring some clarity to uh, the the freedom of speech and commentary and opinions and views and private judgments we all have. Let me repeat for um, the record that there is no scenario on planet Earth where people hear about something and don't give their opinion. No, no scenario on planet Earth, not in your family, uh, not on your job, not in your church. We all give our opinions and our opinions are, are valid from the standpoint that they are our opinion. They are the assessment and um, collection of thoughts and and reasonable or unreasonable conclusions that we draw based upon prejudices, presuppositions, assumptions, whatever that might be. We have the freedom to do that. Fortunately, we are not on a court system of law by which we can exercise that kind of judgment arbitrarily. But everybody draws an opinion and feels something when they hear stories and when they hear drawn out stories with elaborate details, whether that person who is listening has the capacity to actually uh, deconstruct that person's arguments and allegations in a way that draws the conclusion that their assertions are not valid for this reason or that, or whether or not they're simply moved emotionally because perhaps They so identify with that person being a female or being a male or being a a young person or whatever the case may be. They're going to trend towards sympathy because they have the freedom and right to. What God would have us to do in terms of legal issues, like as was the case with Kavanaugh, is to leave the final judgment to the courts in terms of what will be that man's outcome. But as I stated It still doesn't mean that he didn't do it, that our legal system, our judiciary, our court system finds no conclusive evidence to correspond what uh, was uh, charged against Kavanaugh many, many years ago by persons who were willing to come forward and uh, face their um, their perpetrators, which is what Miss Ford did. She faced him. that we aren't able to build a tangible, empirical, uh, incredible amount of evidence between now and then to draw a conclusion that he uh, is worthy of being uh, uh, not accepted or nominated for a Supreme Court judge does not mean that she was wrong, does not mean that she was lying, does not mean that it didn't happen. It'll be left to two things, Um, either uh, evidence rising up in the future that would uh, vindicate Miss Ford, evidence rising up in the future that would explicitly vindicate Mr. Kavanaugh. In any event, we're all going to have our opinions as we did with OJ, as we did with Bill Clinton, as we did with Thomas Clarence, as we did with the Kennedys and all of the picadillos going on with them, as we have done with so many different people, even though... Many of them face courts and got off and are walking free today. That's just the world we live in. It's a good thing we do have a, a judiciary system that basically gets beyond our mere opinions, but we can talk about it. Two lines open, one 367 We can talk about anything, by the way, if you want to. Um, let me go to Dan on line two in Sonoma. Dan, are you there? Yeah, my comment immediately is that when I was about 8 to 10 and later life, I was exposed to some kids that were hard of hearing, and they were really into Mad Magazine and junk. And, of course, it was a public school, right? fifth grade. They're getting really intense with uh, sex education and stuff. And um, as I would go to the Luke chapter about the, uh, about the uh, woman who was wiping... Jesus' feet with her hair. Chapter and, uh, 7, Simon of course. Was sitting there. Yes. And uh, Simon thinks he's only worth 50 denarii forgiveness. And the woman's saying, I got 500 here. You know how 500 denarii is more than two years' as wages. Right. Uh, if I could, it, it wasn't cognitive. You know, as I, what, what I did was accommodate the stuff I was being exposed to as a kid and um, then begin to glory in rebellion. Right. So it wasn't cognitive to be able to even start to break the pattern, but it was, com- I need God. When I was walking around at the university, what they're being exposed to with novels and plays and 
uh, actualization and all this stuff. It's amazing. I, I was, I said to myself, it's like a cement mixing machinery with sand in it, and the sand is getting into my works. Right. And I, you, if you crush a Coke can, you can hear the aluminum go, like, Screaming. It was, it, uh, I don't know how to say it. It was uh, not cognitive. It was an emotional response about the spirit. Right. And I, I began to say, no, no, that can't, this does not work. This does not work. And um, I want that to get to where it's not just memorizing Bible verses, but it's my view of women and uh, my view of uh, these controversies, because he didn't even stop. He, he could have said a thousand denarii. He, I don't know where he could have broke it off, but he was m- making the, dif- the differentiation between 50 denarii and, and 500. Right. Do you think you're only worth forgiven 50 days' wages, or do you think you need to be forgiven 500 days' wages? Okay. okay. And uh, the sermon that I listened to yesterday was about it that came down to the point, uh, you're going to be more happy and trustful if you realize that you need the 500 denarii worth of forgiveness. Uh, because if you think it's just 50, well, you know, you can write that off. You know... Come here, Jesus. You eat my food. I got a nice house here. You might enjoy my house, Lord Jesus. Well, you know, who provided the house? Right. Right. And so I, I don't know. You may want to expand on that, but I, I just. I, well, I, 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 don't, I don't, this is what I'll do, Dan. This is what I'll do. I, I, I was, let, I was, you know, simply letting you build a bridge between my commentary and your uh, experience on a theological level that would create or reproduce for you the um the 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 merits and i think that this is much more along the lines of what i would extract from your exhortation the merits of a righteous intuition that would be more accurate relative to the outlandish uh rebellion and hostility and uh, sinfulness engaged against a holy God that when once one is able to capture, capture the magnificence of God's mercy and the redemption of our souls, the adequate response to what it means to really be redeemed would not be depicted in Simon. It would be depicted in the woman who took the alabaster box of oil and dumped it on her head and wiped his uh, feet with the hair and the tears that flowed down from a broken heart that was overflowing from love. And what Christ made it very clear to Simon in that text was you did nothing that even remotely came close to what this woman did. And yet you staunchly feel as if you and I have a greater allegiance because you invited me over to dinner, albeit you didn't you didn't wash my feet. You didn't do any of the fundamental honorable things that would say that you even recognize who I am in terms of my mercy and grace and and forgiveness and things of that nature. I, I will I will make this application to my own heart relative to what you're saying, Dan, in regards to the larger scope of what I'm talking about. So for me, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to bring you guys into the conversation with I and Dan. I am not at all concerned with uh, the judicial process of our human court systems uh, in terms of them being the final court of uh, arbitration relative to what I know is the historic long injustices that have been opposed upon our vulnerable brothers and sisters in the world, including myself. As I stated last week, I know what that's like growing up and I know what it's like having to deal with the uh, impact and pressures and distortions and the uh, wounding that comes with uh, being uh, overwhelmed by somebody greater than you and you can cry out, but no one hears you. And and if you should cry out 10 years later or 20 years later or 30 years later, we live in such a culture today that if we have Simons in the audience looking at you who feel like forgiveness can be, you know, uh, done at the tip of a hat, like you said, Dan, with, with just 50 days wages for versus 200 or what have, what have you in, in terms of the disparity between him and that woman. Uh, I would assert this, that my sympathy for the women who, who dare come forth, it doesn't blind me from the 
possibility of them being wrong or them being uh, potentially conniving or manipulative or in it for money or in it for political edges or gains. The problem is this, and I'll talk about this when we come back on the other side of the break. It's not really a problem. It's a fascinating observation, and that's this. Because of technology, we are a bit more capable of having a uh, larger family conversation in a much more real-time scenario about very real evils that go on around us, whether they are historic or contemporary, and are able to now massage and work through and deconstruct and express and air our opinions and views to the edification of all who are engaged in the conversation today, which we couldn't have done 50 years ago. We couldn't have done 100 years ago. We couldn't have done uh, definitely uh, several thousands of years ago. Today, when we cry in the field, we can be heard if we keep crying long enough until the sound reaches somebody who has a cell phone or who has a computer or who has the technology to be able to tap into the research to see, are we trending? Is this, is this a viable, is this a viable cry? Do we have the capacity to go back and check it out with DNA? Do we have the capacity to go back and check it out and research it in terms of other people who may have been in the proximity at that time? Things that we could not do a hundred years ago for which people cried out and all they could do was live with the consequences of nobody hearing them, but God we can do today. And that's where I have allowed the intuitive nature of my own experience to go. I am not going to write these women off as if I am Simon because of the luxury of being able to kind of flip my hat and and, and get forgiveness. I'm going to say what is compelling this woman in Luke 7, to break in on a bunch of men sitting around eating and, 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 and invade their space, which was completely taboo, and come directly to the person of Christ and inadvertently become the center of attention, not because she wanted to, but because she was compelled to take the opportunity at that very moment to express her passionate love for Christ, which ended up being an opportunity for him to teach about forgiveness and about how how to see things right, and especially about the opportunity for us to um, to take advantage of the presence of Christ in our midst, because he's not always in our midst, and uh, by way of prophetic implication, um, the Lord Jesus may very well be leaving our midst as a nation uh, day by day if we are not careful to um, overcome the the spirit of uh, Simon and, and embrace the, um, the, the spirit of uh, the woman to whom much is forgiven. I'll give you the last word, my friend, before we go, if you're still there. Just a couple names that have come to mind because of the stories told in their books, uh, Frederick Douglass and yep. Booker T. Washington. Yep. You know, if you want to go back and look at some of the testimony that they gave about power structures sure. and uh, sexuality and yep. so forth. Yep. Yep, you're perfect. And, and you know, I, again, to bring those up is excellent. I, I'm glad you did it, Dan, versus me, because, you know, some people listening to me talking about, you know, bringing up Frederick Douglass and others along these lines that have uh, played such a critical role in voicing in the context of a larger, um, uh, uh, you know, white male dominant uh, trajectory of history may may just, you know, blow me off as being kind of a leftist. Um, but the, the facts still remain that when you listen to their right you can see and sense and feel that they have a deep, 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 deep uh, um, experiential uh, knowledge of insensitivity to injustices that never, ever ultimately got heard, even though they cried out in the field. Thank you for the call, brother. I'm way overdue. Three lines open, one 367 one want to hear from y'all. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right. We are in the uh, second segment of our first hour, and we're about to wind down that hour. We've got three lines open, one 367 If you have a Bible question or a comment or an observation about where we are in our uh, present uh, cultural context, I'd be glad to hear from you. one 367 Appreciate Dan. Hadn't heard from Dan in a while. Um, that's my 
uh, brother in Christ uh, always has a very thoughtful uh, and uh, peculiar angle that's worth working through. Um, he was speaking about some of the um, impact of his educational experience um, when he was in high school and college, as he stated, and uh, how 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 it uh, rubbed him and then ultimately impacted him and how having heard the message about forgiveness where Christ made it very clear to um, whom much is forgiven, the same will love much. And that becomes a, um, a, a method by which we can determine how much, how well we assess not only um, what Christ did on the cross for us, but uh, how great a sinner we are in relationship to it. And, and, and what should that do for you and I in terms of a post triumphant uh, work of atonement to justify us and make us the righteousness of God in Christ before God, the father redeem us, regenerate us, illuminate us and transform us. What, what kind of impact this should make on our heart Uh, and more to the point, what kind of impact should it make on our thinking? How should we be thinking? Should we have uh, a much more redemptive uh, interpretation of the way life works and and, and, and through the lens of a, a larger, more um, sympathetic, albeit righteous prism, determine and begin to process what's going on in our cultural context? Or um, should we be shallow um, and unsympathetic and, and cold and just take the party line? Because, you know, that's that, that's easy to do. It's easy to take the party line, but um, I don't think you can when you are really, really, really deeply committed to uh, sort of a Christocentric worldview. Christ offended them all, too. He wasn't your Pharisee. He wasn't your Sadducee. He wasn't your Herodian. He wasn't your Libertine. He wasn't your skeptic. He was, Well, he was a skeptic, but he wasn't your, uh, if you will, uh, um, sort of uh, intellectual uh, Mars Hill type of individuals that were so aloof and so detached from the realities of life that his words basically meant nothing but a kind of tickling of the ear and affirming of political views. That was not Christ. Um, if Christ were here today, I, I guarantee you outcomes would be a whole lot different than they are. And uh, our extremes would be put into check real quick. And uh, we would find that we are not as righteous in our judgments and assessments as we think we are. Let me go to line number one and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, are you there? Yes, Jesse. What's going on? What's your thoughts today? I think that no matter what, God is on the side of the just. And he's the only one that can decide who's just and who isn't. Right. And so, and so, let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, a female, um, of which you are part of that category of the glorious human species, is uh, compelled to put herself into the public forum, and uh, she is smart enough because she's a professor here in the Bay Area to know that uh, you can you you can actually be raked over the coals pretty good if you would come out. Uh, in a negative uh, accusatory way against someone who has uh, reached the levels and statuses uh, to to be recommended for the, uh, you know, for the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, And when you get out there, they're going to tear you apart. They're going to shred you apart, Deborah. They're going to shred you apart and you're going to be shredded for the, for the rest of your life. And you may not get your point across and you may not be able to even express yourself all that well, do you really want to put yourself in that kind of situation uh, if it actually happened? Well, I think that it should be stated anyway, even if nothing is resolved in my individual case so that I could tell people by my example that I'm willing to put myself on the line because I know it's real. Uh-huh. And I know that it can happen, and uh-huh. I have sympathy for those in that position, even right. though if I'm not in a position to do something about it myself. Right. So now here's what I, here's how I'm. This is why I'm gonna capture what you're saying and and try to use it as a redeemable component for why I took the position uh, that. I believe that she's actually telling the truth. Here's a couple of reasons why. First of all, like you stated, you know, God knows, so it'll ultimately get fixed. But I don't want to be that 
crass about it. Let me be a little bit more invested. Um, uh, the the judicial system that we have, the court system, the process of uh, uh, the form of due process that we have doesn't always work. I, I get that. I got I'm part of a culture that uh, has experienced crying out in the field and nobody heard us for hundreds of years. I, I, I get that. Um, but in a day in which we live where we can talk like you and I are talking with thousands of people listening right now, I, I think <clears throat> I would agree with you. <clears throat> that even if I get hung, I might actually benefit other women or other persons who have gone through the same thing. And maybe they will be emboldened to cry out and maybe they might win. But in any event, I think I can take my testimony if I am truthful to myself and believe that it did occur, that I'll get out there, I'll get slaughtered. But my, my, uh, my 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 compadres who have gone through what I went through um, will will be emboldened to do the right thing down the line because we can't just keep silent when we know that um, misogyny and uh, uh, and all forms of kind of forced uh, un, uninvited sexual uh, uh, practices have gone on uh, embarrassingly since the beginning of time and you know that yes. And so what I feel like, Deb, is that I don't mind people getting upset with me and saying you're jumping the gum and jump gun and you're being ju- judgmental, et cetera, et cetera. I believe the outcome of my opinion will have a greater, more meritorious uh, effect with regards to what has been the trend in our culture in terms of how um, our women have been been treated. And, and, and if, in fact, um, you know, s- some outside chance that uh, Miss Ford got the wrong person, because obviously she was young then, 40 years ago, if some outside fact she got the wrong person, then um, Kavanaugh is OK. He didn't he didn't he didn't go down for it. And she still gave a good valiant fight for her sisters. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's why I feel it's important to state it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And then once we have put it out there like we have, um, we can go back to doing what you said. Uh, God is on his throne and his vengeance is his and he will repay. At the end of the day, he, he's going to make the he's going to clean up all bad judgments. Yes. Yeah. And Jesse, huh? people need to know they're loved and they're accepted no matter whether they're telling the truth or rather they're lying because God does love us and accept us. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I, I probably want to modify the latter line because I don't ha- have any room for um, for the possibility that she just kind of sticking her out. This woman is 56, 50 something years old, professor here working at a college. She's very public and so she's going to get all of this stuff thrown at her. I just couldn't, I wouldn't know why she would just, just be lying like that. But you're, well, I don't think so either. But so here's my point. My point is that you are absolutely right. Um, she needs to have this kind of expression of what you and I are doing, even if we don't have a party take with her or what have you, people need to know that the love of God is there for the vulnerable. The vulnerable have have to know that. And yeah, my perpetrator never was caught. He's still out there as far as I know. Yep. Yep. He was never caught. He was never brought to justice, but it still happened, Jesse. Exactly. It still happened. And, Deb, I, I, I got the statistics. You and I are in the same club, first of all. Um, I, that's why I don't mind talking about these things, because I understand that the cover of darkness has had hit its way. I'm going to be talking in the next hour about um, the slide down into the crazy abyss of artificial intelligence and how they're shaping them into robots for, for crazy people to do crazy things and how Christians need to be able to give an answer well, to that. People is what they're doing. I agreed. I I, I agree with you fully. Two things: Um, the comfort that a believer has, such as you and I, when somebody does something like they've done uh, to us, 
uh, when we were vulnerable is that um, God's grace is able to recover us from that. And we don't have to live in the bitterness of it uh, and anger or hostility of it. It, it, it. You know, if we allow his grace to heal us in that capacity, secondly, God can save them too. And so we definitely have to maintain a redeemable perspective on their part as well. That's what you were saying. Well, that, Jesse, I was told I would be killed. Right. And we be buried and nobody would know what happened to me. Right. I know. By my I, perpetrator. I, so I, that's why. Yep. You know. Yep. I, I no. need to say it because I know a lot of people in that position, both men and women, boys and girls. Yep. You're right, Deb. I, I, I've been there. I've been there. I'm with you. Didn't have threats because I was a male, um, but I did have uh, those experiences that uh, that that merit the same kind of sympathy uh, for my sisters that I know often don't have the ability to uh, go back and handle business um, like like I have. But um, I, listen, you you have done our sisterhood a great deal of good. Thank you, Deb. Let me go to let me go to line two right quick. Uh, do I have what time do we go to? Okay, let me go to uh, line two and talk with Hassan in Sacramento. Hassan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going? Great. What's up, man? Hey, I just wanted to ask a question. You said, tell me if I heard it wrong. You said that uh, Jesus was a skeptic. Please, if that's what you said, please explain that to me. That Jesus was what? A skeptic. Yeah, I, I, I said, let me qualify that, um, because what I was dealing with was a pre, um, uh, a pre-first century um, uh, culture of philosophers that were skeptical in their world worldviews. Um, you, you would have uh, men in the early days, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle's, and, and many in, his, in their era that would begin to be much more thoughtful about um, the depravity of, of human race. They, they, they ultimately held to uh, essential goodness on the part of men, but they recognized that there were massive levels of, of uh, depravity that, that required a, a, an, a, a, an ethical law, a moral law that would have come from a moral lawgiver, even though they may not have completely landed on or congealed with a Jewish uh, framework of a personal God. They would have certainly said uh, the, the, the great power above or uh, the God of the universe or the gods, because many of them were, were uh, polytheists as well. Uh, they would have said that we need the gods to intervene because man is depraved and man is wicked and man uh, is, is so, so vile in his behavior that without the intervention of, uh, of some holy beings, the holy ones uh, will destroy ourselves. And that, that, is, that is the beginning of a skeptical view of humanity a humanity versus a romanticism type of interpretation of mankind being almost altogether good. Uh, well, Christ is the word of God epitomized. You know that. And because he is the word of God personified from Genesis to Revelation, the totality of biblical skepticism about mankind since the fall is that he is utterly and totally depraved and apart from grace, restraining him from the most outrageous behavior. He cannot be trusted. He must be fenced in. He must be given laws. He must be given threats. He must be given warnings. He must be disciplined. He must be trained. He has to even be born again. He has to have God's spirit working on the inside of him to clear up his brain. And even after we're born again, because we are simultaneously righteous and sinful at the same time, God has to continue working on you and me because we like, um, Moses and like David and like a few others who are already regenerate. If God took his hand off of them, you know, they did some crazy stuff too. So biblical skepticism simply is operating out of a reality of a, a biblical prism and assessment of what mankind is by nature. That's what I meant by that in terms of Christ. He said it himself in Matthew 15. It's denied by most of the church today that man is totally depraved because they operate out of a dialectic as well, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, but if you if you even really followed Arminius, or if you followed um, uh, uh, you know Wesley, they would all agree that man is radically depraved, and if God takes His hands off of him, he continues to move in a direction of absolute debauchery. This is what I'm going to talk about in the next hour: that we are given over into such a deplorable behavior pattern 
by by principle and nature, Romans chapter one, um, that we're exchanging the 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 character of the true and the living God uh, and and denying Him through our foolishness, which we think is wisdom, and uh, are starting to create. Um, what the scripture calls evil inventions for our own lust and fulfillment and the spectrum of degradation down to that place of evil inventions for our own lust and fulfillment uh, includes the stuff that we're talking about, about how high dignitaries have had a legacy of past poor conduct that rises to the level of allegations of sexual improprieties and that this is a perpetual trend, that this is not an anomaly. What 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 Kavanaugh was accused of, what Thomas is accused of, what Clinton was accused of, what Trump is accused of, and, and many, many others is not an anomaly. It's a pattern. Uh, my sister Deb just called and said it happened to her. Well, we already have the stats out. Uh, two out of three women will be molested, have been molested, shall be molested. Now, that, that causes me to take care and think through about six daughters that I have and five granddaughters that I have as well uh, uh, in terms of uh, four granddaughters that I have as well in terms of what kind of world that they're going to grow up in. I don't get to be insensitive to any of that. I have to be able to speak to it, lay a, lay a pattern so that when they think about what grandpa has talked about publicly, they know that I am very much aware of the vulnerable disposition that they exist in in terms of a broken world like we have. Uh, and that and, 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 and as well, not only I, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was at the heart of Dan's exhortation about a woman who came in and broke in on the fellowship of a bunch of men to take over the, the central dialogue and conversation because she worshiped on Christ uh, in the kind of freedom and uh, liberty that only a forgiven sinner can do. What's your what's your last point before I let you go? I got to take a hard break. No, no, it's just that uh, I like that you pointed out that it's uh, uh, a life centered on Christ and yeah. actually uh, seeing things accurately yep. is what's going to help us uh, yep. move forward. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, bless. I got to take a break. Two lines open, one 888 Two lines open, one 888 We will continue this after the break. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 